Personal gifts like intellect and charisma help, but neither are required enough to be a leader. Physical appearance, poise, and outward self-confidence can be confused with leadership for a time. I saw many new lieutenants arrive at the battalions and fail to live up to the expectations that their handsome, broad shoulders look generated. Leaders walk a fine line between being self-confident and humility. People are born, leaders are made. And you can read all kinds of books you want. You can make all kinds of plans you want. But when you get out in the field, those books and those plans might not meet the eye of the situation you find there. You just have to roll with it. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. John Seagull just read a quote from General Hackworth and from General McChrystal. And uh, we're continuing the leadership series. We got Kevin Parker joining us. Kevin was on last season with the leadership series as we talked about leaders as heroes. And he shared some of his story and insight. He currently gives leadership to the... uh, Michigan Athletic Trainer Society. He's been at Aquinas College for 25 years as the athletic trainer, working with the collegiate athletes there. He's also been in multiple other leadership positions. Today, we're talking about earned leadership. So this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash earned leadership. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash earned leadership. And a lot of lessons we are discussing will be from the book About Face, and so it was interesting, um, I was like listening to the Jocko podcast that was about the book, About Face, and some of those uh, lessons, the things he talked about, and um, it just, it really is like, I can see why he kind of lives and dies by this book, About Face, but John's going to get a lot more into those details. So without much further ado, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash earned leadership, and you've got John Seco. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah, I think uh, when we look at this book, um, well, first of all, Every summer, I try to take a, a larger book and, and kind of fill my summer with the, the lessons, the words. And, um, you know, last two summers, I've looked for about a thousand page book because I know that I'll have either enough time or I'll try to sneak away enough time to, to read one full book. Um, that's, that's a pretty lengthy book rather than just kind of filling it. Um, so last summer... Um, I don't know, Jeremy, if you remember, but I was carrying this book around um, just under a thousand pages at NATA. Uh, whenever I got a chance between recordings or, um, you know, whenever we were at the uh, the booth in the expo center, I was trying to sneak away and read a, read a couple pages or uh, at the end of the night trying to read some of this. Uh, and, and yeah, you know, we, we've covered plenty of books. Uh, every single one of them has been about leadership and for me, I am a student of history. Uh, I love reading history as much as I can. And uh, this was a great one for me because it covers uh, such a long time. Uh, Colonel Hackworth served during World War II, albeit at the very, very end of it. Um, I think he even kind of touches that he doesn't feel that he's a World War II veteran, but uh, served in Korea and then served in Vietnam. Uh, and there's so many parts of this book that really examines Vietnam. So like I said, people who are students of history will look at Vietnam and and the lessons we learned there or didn't learn there. And how can those lessons help us shape our leadership styles and how we go about things? Uh, Luckily enough or unluckily enough, we are going through a time right now that is um, putting leaders under microscopes. 
and how do those people who are in leadership positions operate and how do those people get there? We also learn that sometimes people get in those leadership positions through false ways. Uh, they go about it the wrong way. We'll kind of touch on that a little bit. And then you see the people who go about it the right way. Uh, and, and Colonel Hackworth is a really good example because he went about things uh, from the point of view of the military almost the right way. He was brash. He was um, eccentric. He was uh, in people's faces, but he wanted things done correctly for a certain reason. Uh, and he was always truthful about his reason about why he went about things. Um, and then, and, you know, we'll talk about at the end of this, uh, how he left the military. Um, he wanted to make sure that things were getting done correctly to try to save lives. And uh, he felt the best way to go about it was to expose the wrongdoings of what was going on and how things were being misled that were leading to thousands upon thousands of deaths. So, um, you know, that's a little bit about uh, the book, a little bit about who wrote the book. Kevin, do you want to add uh, anything about Hackworth? Um, Hackworth in particular? No, but I, I do want to, Jeremy, uh, 25 years in the profession. This is only year 15 of Aquinas. So I'm, I'm old, but I'm not that old. Um, uh, while you were talking, John, uh, I looked back um, to see when it was that, that I read about face because I keep a, keep a list of, uh, books I've read and kind of when you finish them. And I remember much like you that this is a, a book that it took me months to, to digest through because it's so dense. Even if you're reading 20 or 30 pages a day, it, it takes a while. Um, but it was March, March of 2018 when I, when I finished this and, and much like you periodically go back to it because there are some timeless lessons of leadership. Um, I think the the thing that's to me that's inspiring about David Hackworth is that he epitomizes almost almost epitomizes the the classic what you look for in a leader the humility the lack of an ego he he did have a little bit of an ego about certain things that were that were important to him that 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 he felt mattered but um I I think it's a I think he will hold. He holds up in leadership, much like you look back to uh, leaders in the in past throughout history. You know, uh, Grant during the Civil War and his presidency. You know, you going back to to ancient times, Marcus Aurelius and, and leading Rome during during the plague and things like that. I think that even though he never set out to to be that, he he is a great case study in what it takes in, to be a leader. And that leadership is more than standing up in front of people and telling them what to do. So, Kev, I mean, we talked about it. There's, it's a massive book, and um, you know, even when we we talked about it earlier this month. I'm bringing this to the podcast, and and what can we learn from it? Um, you know, there's so many stories in this book. Every single story has a lesson to be learned, whether he wrote it for that reason or not. We right. really have the opportunity to pull from each story things that were done correctly, things that were done incorrectly and how they impacted uh, his lesson on leadership and, right. and what impacted his next decision and his decision-making. Uh, I know this is hard to ask that question, but what was your favorite part of the book? Um, favorite part? Uh, 
there, there's quite a few that you that, that you go back to. I think the, the the average person who reads this, they're going to reference, and this was the part that that in Jocko's podcast, the, the the like the second or third one he did way back when when he first talked about about the book, was when he took over the battalion in Vietnam that was the the not well disciplined and and he quickly transformed them into a a, a well oiled machine and a fighting force, and and everyone. People who aspire to be leaders, everyone wants to be that transformational person who comes in and writes the ship and corrects the direction that things are going downhill and and not necessarily be the savior, but be the person who who rescued, who stepped in, was the, the person at the right time to step in and, and solve the problem. And I think that that if if that's your takeaway from this book, then you're missing you're missing the forest for the trees because because there's so many, I think probably the part that resonates, two parts that resonate with me the most um, is early on in the book when he's talking about his time in Italy, in Triesto, I think that's how you say the, the name of the place, um, and the when he was a corporal, and the example that he had as Sergeant uh, Prezinka, that, that was the soldier's soldier, and he learned how to do things the right way. Because if we use Hackworth as an example of someone rising through the ranks from an enlisted guy at 15 to reaching the highest rank you can before be becoming a, a flag officer and, and that those not necessarily the battlefield promotions, but the battlefield promotions and, and, and moving up the chain that that much like we deal. And I think this is also people would ask, well, what can, as athletic trainers and healthcare providers, what, what do you, why are you reading a book about war? What, what can, what, how can you relate a book about a man's service in Korea and Vietnam? And how do you relate that to your day of, of, you know, dealing with ankle sprains and, and stuff that doesn't seem on the same level. But I think the overarching lesson that I take from this book and it's easily applicable is much like in our in our profession where you're dealing with an injury and you're doing a rehab and someone has to earn the right to progress. Well, we, we take that in leadership and you have to earn the right to be a leader. And ultimately that step one of that is, are you capable of doing your job? And are you able to do your job and are you able to do your job well? Because no one gets extra responsibilities, which is all leadership is. No one gets extra responsibilities if you're not taking care of the stuff you're already supposed to do. And I think that's the lesson from uh, early on in his time in Italy that he learned how to be a soldier. He, he learned not only the, hey, keep the haircut and things like that, but the important lessons of know where you are, be present, where, know where your feet are on the map. Um, Know, know your equipment inside and out. Be able to do your job, because if you're not able to do that, no one's gonna no one's gonna carry carry that over and give you more responsibility. And you see that time and time again. Why is he successful in Korea? The opening the opening part of the book, you know, he's talking about being on the tanks and and then as a sergeant and and wanting to shoot the lieutenant because he's not doing his job, and it drives the point home there. Hackworth was successful because he was good at what he did. The second part that kind of resonates with me, 
you go from the beginning of his career to the end of his career, his last command in Vietnam, the team, team 50, and, and where he ended up getting into, into some trouble because of, of things they were doing. They, they, they commandeered some supplies to improve the camp and, and they were doing things not necessarily to regulations outside of the combat theater. They were do, they were very much doing their job in, on, on missions and, and, and executing the missions that they were given and what resonates with me with that is that Hackworth, the lesson there from Hackworth is you take care of your people. That as a, as a leader, leadership really, to me, is identifying problems and identifying the, the people that can solve the problem and giving them the resources to do it. And, and that's what he, to me, what he illustrated there with, at the end of the, at the beginning of his, of, his, of his career, be good at your job and, and, and be good at your job. That's the bottom line. At the end of his career, Part of being good at your job when you get to that leadership position is taking care of the people underneath you, you know, and that's just, and, and those are things like that we, that we see, you know, in athletic training that, Hey, you're at the day long event and, and the administrator brings you lunch, not because he has to, but because he understands that you're, you're not able to get away and, and, and go get lunch. I think those, those two resonate really highly with me. Um, and I, I know you asked for my favorite part and, and I've given you like, I'm going to give you one more that, that also kind of stands out um, is the, the, when he talks about um, being at Fort Lewis and saving the Sergeant's career after the Sergeant executed some discipline on, on the, the guy not following regulations and that, that he, he recognized, saw the issue problem solved in a way that everyone was happy that, that he, he framed it in such a way that the, that the, the kid who was filing the charges got what he wanted. He, he framed it in such a way that the Sergeant, he, he wagged his finger at him and said, don't do this again, or be smarter about doing this. Got what he wanted, wasn't overly punished and the problem was taken care of. And again, that's to me, that's, that's leadership problem solving. So there you go. Hope that wasn't too too long winded, and and I know you I, I know you wanted a, a short, concise. This is my, but th there's so much in this book. I mean, truly, it could be, it could be three separate books. It could be his time up through Korea, his time, the lessons he learned. You could separate Vietnam in from when he was in theater and combat, and then when he was in the Pentagon, because the lessons are completely different. Uh, yeah, there's just so much in this. It's it's phenomenal. It's it's a great book. That's the hard part about when you're trying to dissect a you know close to a thousand page book, and, and trying to do it within an hour. You, you know, there's so much, and like you said, the, this book can really be split up multiple different ways. And uh, you can see why, you know, Jocko talks about this and and how he always comes back to it, and how you're able to flip open the book and read a chapter, read a read a small paragraph or whatever, and and you know you can just open it put your finger down, read that page and say, what did I just learn from that? And this book isn't overly academic. It's not uh, written so that you have to read it over and over to get what it's meaning. I mean, the words are there, the meaning's there. It's how are you going to um, understand uh, what you take from that? And, you know, for me, like I said, we're in this time right now that's that's examining and putting leaders under a microscope and how they handle situations and how they uh, listen to certain people 
uh, whether it's the yes man, the no man, whether it's the uh, the friend that's giving them the bad advice to just kind of uh, prompt their position up a little bit more. Um, you know, that's how we're seeing some leaders take over those leadership positions is uh, they're the ones that are grabbing the coattails. And, you know, for me, when he talks about it, he examines the military so much so that you read it so many different times in the book. And normally when we do the podcast, I will go out and, and write through, uh, whether it's a snippet or a line in the book, um, because this book was so long that I just, I didn't do that this time. So we're getting to see a little bit how the sausage is made right here with the leadership podcast. Um, but, you know, I, I just wrote down pages in the book um, that I wanted to go to. And so I'm going to be going back and forth a little bit. And I want to read a little bit um, from some of the, some of the pages in the book that uh, we're going to go about right now and talk about the wrong way to gain those leadership positions. Uh, and, and one of the things that I looked at here was um, close to the end of the book, while he's time in, during his time in Vietnam, what his examination was of how leaders were getting to the their next place and why Vietnam was becoming such a disaster of leadership and why we were losing that war. Um, and yes, I, I do want to be very, very delicate and, and respectful of how we relate these things from uh, a book about war, a book that talks about the loss of human life because of war and what we do on a day-to-day -day basis as, as athletic trainers. There probably is zero comparison, but there are lessons to be learned here. And I want to read a, a little snippet out of here uh, about the idea of grabbing at the coattails to be a leader. Um, Hackworth writes, the army was no more warriors than it was clerks desire to zero the warriors out. It was just part of the big scramble to get ahead. And, I, and ironic to me that junior officers who would grab at the coattails of the up and coming superiors were always on the lookout for what they perceived to be the up and coming juniors to propel them ever steward from below. So you're seeing the, the ones that are trying to get ahead, surround themselves with people that were going to agree with them to allow their position to be elevated too. So rather than people learning or learning or earning their position of leadership, they're surrounding themselves with the wrong type of people. And you see this over and over again in this book. You see this over and over again about lessons that we talk about in leadership. Surrounding yourself with people that are going to help you get ahead, but the correct way, rather than just saying yes, 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 until you get in that position where you haven't learned anything. You've surrounded yourself with people who are false idols or people who don't know what they're talking about. And when you have to make a critical decision and the people that are around you that may stop you from making that decision aren't there and you're going to continuously make wrong decisions. Kevin thoughts. I mean, that, that's, that's the great example of, of not being in an echo chamber. If, if everyone in the room and I'm not, I'm not, not advocating just the, the person who's always like, well, I'm going to be devil's advocate. And that's, you're not being a devil's advocate. You're just, you're just being an ass most of the time. But if, if everyone agrees with the, the, with the idea when it's presented, have you really flushed out the idea? Have you have, there should be someone in your inner circle who you're willing to look at and say, this is the idea I have. 
take it apart piece by piece and find the flaws. And, and there's nothing wrong with having people that agree with you, but even, even as you're a leader, you have to be willing to say, Hey, that's a great idea initially, but what do we, how do we, if we do this small tweak to it, now we, we get to, we get to a better place. Um, and, and, and as a young leader, that's hard. How hard is it to, 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 to speak up in a meeting and be like, Hey, I, I, think we should do something different that that and that's where and that's the challenge because especially in, in something that's very hierarchical like the military the more you speak up the, the less you're the less points you're going to get and you're not going to not going to advance so you have to really be comfortable in your situation in order to do that and i think again it's not a direct translation to what we do, but we're in an organization. We're we're all in organizations, and it's that willingness that Hackworth demonstrates time and time again is that clear, honest feedback. No matter how hard it is to 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 hear, is ultimately the best. You know. Um, I think you're going to reference it later. I mean, we'll get to it, but his, his letter, when he's asked, when he's one of the 16 people in the army that are, that are tasked with giving their unvarnished opinion on, on how things went in Vietnam. And he just both barrels and is 100% honest. And, and you read the, you read the asterisk in the footnote about one of the others that, that completely came out from a different way that, it's like, oh no, we need to spin that. That we can spin this to our to our advantage. So, I I do think that that you have to be you have to be wary of an echo chamber as as a leader. That you need some healthy discussion and some healthy dissent in order to get to the best decision possible. That's the uh, the kind of the next point I was going to talk about was uh, it, it's a simple line in the book, but it, when you look at the 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 pages that surround it. He was in a meeting and he was talking about uh, there's a 300 input, 300% input of Ranger School. Uh, and he's talking about so many people going in and, and and they're in a meeting and he stands up and he says, yeah, hey, that's great. 300% sounds amazing. But however, we went from zero to three. So of course that 300 number looks great, but uh, you know, and, and then he gets into a little bit of an argument with the, the corporal that was uh, was presenting it. But he wrote simply in the book, figures don't lie, but liars figure. So this person was throwing out this big, grandiose number. It was, hey, this is it was puffed up. It was beautiful. And and things are looking great because we're up 300 percent. But hey, listen, the true figure is that you went from zero to three. So it goes kind of to that point that you're talking about is, you know, you surround yourself with people that are going to test you, but also help you with that. You know, yeah, he was a little bit more brash, but yeah, he was trying to prove the point that, listen, if you want to lie to get ahead, you're not going to get there. People aren't going right. to trust you and believe you. Well, and, and how often do you talk about, about, about figures and data? How often do we see that in, in our world of, Hey, we're going to measure this because it's easy to measure, but does it really have an impact in what we do? You know, it, it's all of the all of the fancy, the latest gadgets that kids want to use, or or 
metric things that collect data that you know just because you measure it doesn't mean it's important and 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 keeping things in perspective of that and that's a great example of yeah we increased we increased 300 percent three people that it's not that that you have to be careful in how how you phrase things again and i think that again illustrates my my comment earlier about hackworth was was 100 about not sugarcoating things i'm gonna he was gonna give it to you as clear as could be so that so that you could understand so that, that not only the he was going to disseminate information and this is this is the leadership lesson he was going to disseminate information clearly to the the two-star general in the same way same effectiveness as he was the lance corporal who was going to be carrying out the mission and that's rare to be able to to move within within ranges like that. And how was he successful? The people that are successful, successful in that they're clear. They're they're They, they don't, they, you know, they, they tailor their language to whom they're talking to, but the, but the, the message doesn't change. And I, and I think that's one of the lessons of, of can you communicate well and how does that apply in our day in our daily function, you know, in the athletic training room, you guys that, that are in, at the high school level, you have to be able to give clear feedback and instructions to coaches as to what this kid can and can't do. You have to give clear feedback and instruction to the student athlete of this is what I want you to do. This is your, you're going to do this rehab activity while I go over here and check on, on, on the soccer field, you know, that, that, that's the, the, how, again, that's back to my comment about doing your job and doing your job well how, how good of a community, how, how clearly can you communicate? It's so important because, you know, you, you, when we were talking with an athlete and you say, Hey, the outside of your ankle hurts, but then you have to turn around and talk to your, your physician and say lateral, lateral malleolus, right? right? You're saying the same thing, but it's how you tailor those, those messages to those people to gain the trust yeah. uh, between everybody. And, and that's so important when it comes to leadership. You, like you said, you have to be honest, you have to have a strong moral, um, you know, output. Um, but you have to be able to tailor your message to every single person. And sometimes leaders just can't do that. You know, you, you see this a lot, I think, because we're in the healthcare world, you see physicians who are so good, but cannot communicate to their patients, especially the high school patients or, or the college patients from out of the country. You know, how can you communicate? Those ones that are able to communicate are so powerful and they're so they're, they're stronger leaders than, than anyone else can be. Right. Or how many times have you heard this? Oh, this, you're, they, this, this, this surgeon is the best surgeon for this condition in the city, but I'm going to, I'm going to preface right now. He's got a horrible bedside manner, you know? And it's like, well, how much more effective as a healthcare practitioner would this guy be or woman be the surgeon? If, if they had a better bedside manner, if someone, someone honestly gave them feedback and said, Hey doc, you're an asshole. You, 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 you're great with the knife, but I, I, I don't want to interact. I'd rather, I'd rather deal with your PA, you know, but, but of course we get, we get into that, that, that structure of, of, again, this is what Hackworth demonstrated time and time again is I'm going to, I'm going to speak truth to power. And, and that's, that is a moral courage that I'm not even sure I possess all the time because, 
because th- that is so laden with potential bad consequences that 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 it's hard and 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 ultimately that's what that's where the courage of leadership i think comes in is that being able to to speak truth to power and that goes back to communication and and and, and it's interesting you talk about tailoring your message I, I've got a student with me from for the first time in a, in a while and watching them struggle with that of and, and and him recognizing that, oh, hey, I'm not doing a good job communicating. Well, OK, well, how, how, how can we help you get better? How, how do you because he gets into that some of the, like, hey, I'm using one set of language here, one set of language here, and, and they're not the right sets and they're they're mixed up. And, and to watch that growth as he kind of and he learns the lesson is, is impactful for me. Yeah, it's, it's really impactful on how to learn how to communicate. And, and it's a constant practice, right? You know, you, sometimes you think that you've got it and then you run into somebody new and you're like, Oh, I don't know how to communicate with this person. And then you have to learn how to communicate with that person. Um, it's, it's relationship building one-on-one it's, it's communication styles for every single person. Um, and then when we talk at leadership, there's a difference between being a leader and a manager, and then also being a an orator. So yes, mm-hmm. you can be a really good person when it comes to talking, but are your actions going to match what you're saying as well? So you right. have to be careful about being an orator versus a leader and versus a manager, right? Um, a great example off the off the Hackworth topic, but um, Ryan Holiday and and the Daily Stoic he talks about the pen and paper stoic, the the pen and paper philosopher who who espounds, yeah, I'm on like like my fifth year through it, yeah, yeah, it's phenomenal. Um, but he talks about the the pen and paper stoic, who talks a great game, but actions don't match, and it's only important if you're it only matters and is only impactful if your actions match the words you say. And I agree completely that just because you can stand up, how many times have we seen this in athletics? The head coach, you can stand up in, in front of the team and give the fiery pregame speech and then promptly just steps aside and lets people underneath them do everything on the sideline, you know, they, that someone else manages the game and whatnot versus, you know, and, and your example of there's absolutely a difference between a, a leader and a manager. And I think to me, the big difference is the manager can problem solve and can identify the people that help solve the problems, but the manager is going to struggle in identifying what the problem is. And that's where, and, and true leadership I think is rare. Um, there's the people like Hackworth that come along once in a generation that that give us the example that we that we should aspire to. But I, I think as soon as we say, well, I'm a leader and I've got this figured out that no, you don't. And and recognizing where your own flaws are. And this is something that that's kind of hit home for me as I end my I've got three months left as as president of Matt's and, and I'm starting to, to reflect and look back over my two years and, and 
if if I'm objectively grading myself, I'm and I said this to to the student that's with me the other day. I, I, I abhor plus minus grades, so I'm giving myself a solid C as as my time as president. And and, and I've made that comment to some other people, and they're like, "Well, phew, no, you've done a much you've done a much more phenomenal job and things like that." And it's like, "Okay, great, that's your opinion," but as I reflect. If I tell you, hey, I think I did an A's work on this, then I'm not objectively measuring and reviewing and reflecting on on my my experiences because I think we're always there's always lessons to be learned in that. And Hackworth shows us that time and time again about the lessons he learned previously sort of apply to the new situation but he takes he takes things away from it and and that makes him better for the next time he faces that situation we talked about how his uh, examination of vietnam went and and we're talking about managers and i'm going to read this right here because i think it just blends right into the next topic of uh, the right way to go about things by looking at the past and how things were mismanaged going forward um, he writes in his review, his study at the end of Vietnam, um, the tactical know-how of senior officers displayed in Vietnam is de deplorable. The condition has resulted in a failure to understand how to fight the guerrilla. The root cause of this debacle is that for the past decade, our army has, has been concerned with developing high-level corporate managers. And in the main, our officer corps has been scurrying about busily collecting tickets, meaning um, they're just collecting the next thing to become the next level person. Um, consequently, we have few soldiers who understand what it's what it's about at the point of the bayonet level, meaning they have all they've done is just study, study, study. They've been around the right people. They've gone up in rank, but they don't know how to communicate with the people below them or know what those people are going through in order to assist them. And if you don't have an understanding of what's going on below you, around you, then it's almost impossible to be a leader or almost impossible even to be a manager because you're not listening to those people around you. The more you're able to do that, the more you're able to assist them and to go forward in whatever the mission is or whatever the, the next um, standard that you're trying to reach. You know, if you're not able to do that, you're just never going to uh, to, to get better. You're never going to be able to lead that next, um, you know, whatever it is that that's ahead of you. Well, and I think John, the great example of that is not only do you need to know, you need to know what's going on below you, but you need to understand what that job is. And, you know, leadership 101 is never ask a subordinate to do something you're not willing to do. And if that means you show up at 6 a.m. to see how how the COVID screening is going before practice and pitch in and 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 help help with that, that's that's what that's what you have to do. Um, and I think the problem we get into with leadership is when they're when they're so detached that they're not aware of what's going on day to day, you know, does the, does the, does your athletic director need to be present every day that you're doing something? No, good, good Lord. No one, no one, no one wants that. 
but at the same time much like much much like athletic training if the only time you go and communicate with your coaches is when you deliver bad news well you're going to get a reputation as the angel of death and no one's going to want to talk to you when you when they see you walk down the hallway you know it's it's about building that relationship and understanding what's going on to help understand so that when you go to the administration and say hey we need to readdress our schedule because we're we're looking at with everything actually we're doing with covid we're looking at, you know, like a 60 hour week and that's just not, not sustainable. And, and them not understanding, well, oh, wow. Yeah, this is really because, because may, and it may not be because it's an oversight. It may, they may not have forgotten about you. They may be busy with other things, but that's the, like you said, knowing what's going on on the ground level from the higher up command, not only knowing where, where they are and what they're doing, but how to do their job. You know, so that you can understand that, oh, yeah, hey, we're asking unrealistic things. That's the hard part of leadership, because the more responsibility you have, the less time you have for things like that. You know, and what's the what's the the line? Forget where I read it. Um, everyone in the typical organization, someone is promoted one level beyond their competence. Because because. You're, 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 again, you're good at what you do. You're given more responsibilities. You're successful. You're successful. They keep layering things on. You get a promotion, and now all of a sudden, you're outside. You're beyond your your skill set, and 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 now you're not able to to do the things that that made you successful and got you to that point. You know, I think one of the best things is his examination of himself uh, when it comes to leadership, and you know, you just said it. You know, if you're if you're promoted one level ahead than you're able to be, you have to be very honest with yourself and and start delegating and being better at delegating those uh, duties around you. Um, and and that goes with having the right people around you too. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into the the interview part, <clears throat> because I for me that was one of the strongest parts of the book is really right at the end, um, being honest with himself, but also being brutally honest with why we were losing the war uh, and, and what was going on around him. Is there anything else that you wanted to add from the book that's, um, no, that you, no, you I, I think, yeah, if you start talking about the self-reflection at the, absolutely his interview when, when he just lays bare. Yeah. So I, you know, there's, and real quick, um, being a, you know, a, a child of the eighties and, you know, born in 72 and seeing vague remembrances of some of the, the coverage of, of Vietnam on the TV in the aftermath, you know, some of, some of the interview really resonates that, that it, it, keeping in mind how much courage it took to, to make this stand at that point in time was, yeah, it's no wonder he moved to Australia. He had, he had, had to, had, had to abandon ship because was not popular. Yeah. And that's the hard part too, is, is being able to raise your hand when you know something isn't right. And I, I've said it before and I'll keep saying this, this book, although I read it last summer, it didn't start resonating with me until about April or May this year because of what is going on here. Yep. And we don't have enough people raising their hand to say, Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. or oh, I'm sorry, maybe we do have enough people raising their hand, but the people who have found themselves in leadership positions 
have found themselves unable to actually lead because they've gotten there the incorrect way and unable to listen to the people when they say, this is not the way we need to go about things. You know, Kevin, if we're going to be brutally honest, we are in a state right now, Michigan, where things are not being handled as probably great as they should be when it comes to some of the athletics, because people just want to push ahead. They're fatigued with the pandemic and they just, they want to put the blinders on, but they're not going to listen to the right people. Yeah. We're going to drive on. Uh, Um, I think, and, and you put it in terms like that. Um, yes, that it takes a lot of moral courage to say, we're not going to play games this fall. My institution is one of the few in our conference at, at, at the small college level who said, not only are we not playing games this fall, but we're not going to practice as teams. We're going to, we're going to do small group stuff and the groups can't mix and put such regulations and restrictions on what we were allowed to do that. And we've handled things really well. We've not had a massive outbreak and, and hearing the feedback and like, this is, this is BS. Everyone else, it's that keeping up with the Joneses. Everyone else is doing it over here. Why can't we? And it's like, you're, and being able to step back and, 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 from a framework of decision-making and seeing that, Hey, the leadership of the college is framing decisions through this window and this lens. And it has nothing to do with what your lens is over here. And until you shift your perspective to help understand how they're making decisions, you're going to be frustrated. And, and that frustration is only 100% your fault because yeah, that be, yeah, it's that, yeah, you're right. We're, we're in such a, such a unique situation here in the, in the lovely mitten state that, yeah, I'm really looking forward to January. So real quick, Rick Cox was watching live, and Perry, didn't he, said shout-out to Kevin, fellow Miami Red Hawks, something like that. Um, yeah, that's, yeah Perry, 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 Perry and I attended the same undergrad, not at the same time, but have a, have a, have a long, long-standing connection. Thanks, Perry. Yep. So Rick was talking about how Jocko in, in his books talks about how he would scramble the radio so that the guys had, knew how to – how to fix it because they had needed to know how to do that job. Everybody needed to know how to fix their own radio and be that the comms guy just in case. So Rick, thanks for checking in live. Go ahead, John. So, you know, we're going to talk about the interview and uh, the, the courage that it took to actually go on, uh, on live TV. Uh, so 1971, he was on a show called issues and answers where the uh, host who was the host. Who was the host? Who was the host? Howard Tucker for ABC asked the honest questions about what was going on. And rather than just kind of reading through and going through the whole interview, uh, I did try to find a a link to it, but I couldn't find it. Obviously it was 1971. So there's probably not that many recordings left, Um, but you can find some things uh, on the internet from this. But if you do want to grab the book, whether it's from the library or whatever, uh, it's the very end of the book where he just, I don't think he wrote it. He just put the transcription into the book. That's what was said. Uh, And for me, it it goes back to being the manager, being the leader, uh, and how honest he was. Um, Mr. Tucker, he asked, did the upper echelon of the Army ever really become, I'm sorry, did the upper echelon of the Army ever really become changed on the work? Did they ever learn from their mistakes? And Hackworth goes on and says, no. Uh, I think the top managers of the Army, so he's not even talking about the leaders, he's talking about the managers of the Army, 
The big difference between being a leader, a combat leader, and a manager, the top managers were so involved in system analysis and the normal bureaucracy of all that it was from the fighting day to day that they just moved paper across the desk and they couldn't see the forest from the trees. And that's one of the things that Kevin has kind of touched upon is if you aren't able to see the forest from the trees, if you're not able to step back and, and look at everything to get a big picture, then you're not detached enough to make appropriate decision makings. Uh, you know, he went on to talk about the measurement of success. And, and if you look at the book and you read about Vietnam, the measure of success in Vietnam was the death toll or the death ratio. If it was 10 to one, then we were winning. But if you're using that type of measurement, that's a false measurement. You know, you are just looking at one small thing rather than the whole picture. And his examination was, that's what exactly was going on. We were promoting people up and having using a false measurement to tell ourselves that we're winning. So they weren't being honest with themselves. They weren't being honest with how they're going about things. And the measurements and the people around them were yes men. And the measurement, that 300% or the ratio is so high that if you just look at those things, hey, we're winning. But you're not being honest with yourself. And you have to have a strong moral um, you know, courage around yourself to say, maybe we're not winning. Maybe this is the wrong measurement of success. And then how can you get people around you to challenge yourself into learning these types of lessons so that you can change direction when you need to? Um, you know, I opened the, the podcast today with a quote from General McChrystal. Um, you know, if About Face is Jocko's book to go to, um, I've slowly realized that things that General McChrystal is is my kind of about face. And I just finished uh, the book, uh, My Share of the Task by him. And, and that was a, uh, a quote out of the book. And there's so many lessons to be learned from the recent wars here from General McChrystal that are very similar to what um, happened with David Hackworth in Vietnam and how he stepped away uh, from the military life. Yeah, John, I think you hit on a point there. Again, that, that, that cliche forest for the trees. And what that really just means is that you're so focused on your own role that you don't see how your role impacts everyone else. And I think those of us that work in athletics, whether you're, whether you're talking the highest echelons of Division I athletics or the NFL, all the way down to, the, to what some would consider the lowly high school athletic trainer, and, and I'm air quoting that because I think that's a, that's a complete bullshit perspective. But part of our role and what we deal with every day is helping people understand that there's more going on than your basketball practice. There's more going on outside of your lane of, of ice hockey or whatever, your, whatever sport you're coaching and that no, and, and, and we all have coaches who get it and we have coaches who don't. I have coaches that, that before they even contemplate a schedule change will look at me and say, hey, does that work in your schedule? Is, are you okay with that? And it's not window dressing. That's legitimate that if I say, yeah, no, I can't, I can't, I can't, can't readjust our schedule to be there. They're like, okay, we won't do it. Versus the coaches that, that you deal with, like that, that how many times have we, have you had a coach 
change a game time on you and not tell you, you know, that, that the, it's that, it's that, that helping. And this is, again, this is leadership, helping everyone understand that there's more going on than just what they see in front of them. One of the lasting lessons that I learned as a younger, younger athletic trainer was, was when I was working at the high school in, in Oregon and my first spring there, um, spring sports are rolling along and game times are early in the afternoon and we hit the time change. We, we spring forward and now all of a sudden we go from like a 5 PM start for a, for a game to a 7 PM start. And I was lamenting to the principal that, wow, you know, this is just really making, you know, that I don't understand. And I was pushing back, like, this is just doesn't work for me. And, and I might've asked you, well, why, why are we doing this? And, and the principal, one of the best people I've ever worked for, love the man to death, Jim Jameson. He's retired now, but, but carry lessons from forward from him today. And he looked at me and goes, well, Kevin, you know, you know, kids like kids, parents like to watch their kids play games. And our, our, the socioeconomic status of our kids, most of our kids are, our parents are, are working and it's really challenging for them to get, get to games that start at four and five o'clock. So if we have enough available light, we're going to move our times back so that they can watch their games. And then he added this, you know, we're sorry that it inconveniences your schedule, but we have to do, but this is what we need to do. And it was that light bulb went off. It's like, oh yeah, it's not about me. And and, he, and that was that moment that he exhibited excellent leadership of helping me understand that there's more going on in the forest besides the one single tree that I'm focused on in front of me. And, and yes, that's an easy conversation from us, from a superior to a subordinate, but that's what you have to do. You have to, you have to look at your, at the people you're dealing with the administrator and say, yeah, that, 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 that it's great. That works better for them. But the, the downstream cascade domino effect is that, that, that the, the person working that sports is going to have 15 days in a row of working. Do you think that's appropriate? And they go, Oh, okay. Well, didn't, didn't see that. And, and again, sometimes it's not, it's not malicious it's just, hey, I'm so focused on other things. I'm so focused on on this one thing that I've got blinders on, and I need a moment. I need someone, you know. It's that classic story Jocko tells on his podcast when he learned to detach on the oil rig. That hey, I'm going to take a step back and say, oh yeah, we just need to do this. It's not, it's not a malicious thing. You're just, it's, it's a hyper focus that that we deal with, and that's leadership, helping people modulate between that hyper focus and that detached, so you can see the big picture. Did that make sense? Yeah, it's it's so important. And there's so many lessons to be learned uh, from this book. And um, you, I think detachment has been one of them for me is, is taking that step back and looking around, whether it's in my personal life, whether it's at work. Um, if you're unable to do that, it's a practice. You have to continuously practice and, and try to do it. Because if you don't see it, you're not going to learn and you're not going to be able to lead. Uh, and that's really difficult to do. Uh, it's an honest thing. It's, it's a courageous thing to say, I don't know what's going on right now. I need to take a bigger look at this thing. Right. And then 
make a decision. So um, before it, we go, it, oh, go truly, it it puts people, it, it's off-putting to people. People are, I mentioned this to Jeremy, people are expecting, they're expecting that fly off the handle reaction. They're expecting when they tell you, hey, the schedule, when, when they, you know, they tell you that, hey, the schedule has changed and this is going to happen. They're expecting you to push back. And if you, if you pause for a second in that and you choose your reaction and like, okay, yeah, I see the big, I see why you're making this change instead of just automatically pushing back that, that it, it yeah, it's off-putting. And a lot of times it, it de-escalates in, in that, that potential conflict and just deflates people. And, and that's how you get known again, going, we started with how do you earn the right to be a leader? You, you be good at your job. And you, and part of being good at your job is, and especially in what we're doing is you got to be calm. You can't, when, when it, when it hits the fan, you, you, everyone's going to turn and look at you like, Oh, Oh, okay. Everything's okay. I'm sure John that, and, and Jeremy at the high schools that you, that you guys are at on Friday night, if someone sees you not in a panic, but moving with urgency, they understand that things aren't going well. Correct? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is very disarming when you are disarmed yourself, when somebody comes at you and they're hot and you're like, listen, okay. You know, I, I understand it. you or, you know, whatever, whatever the situation may be, yep. um, when you're able to disarm somebody, it then puts all the power into your hands. Uh, but you can easily lose the power by becoming, you know, as hot as that person is. That happened to me. You know, we talked about conflict resolution. That happened to me about a month ago. Um, I disarmed a person with how calm I was. And then it continued to escalate. And then I lost all control of the situation because I became more hot than the other person did. Yep. Uh, but then at, at the end of the day, when I was able to come back and, you know, have the humility and say, listen, I was wrong at that point. And then, you know, apologize. Uh, it not only disarmed the person further right now, oh, yeah. it, it, they were always an advocate for me, but then they, they became a stronger advocate for me. And, and yep. helping with our students. So yeah, it, it is a practice. You definitely have to learn it and you have to continuously practice it. And and to have the humility to come back and say, hey, I'm sorry, I flew off the handle there. Um, it, it, it shows maturity and much like the, it's that's as disarming and off-putting as being calm in the initial situation. And you're right, it's a practice. Sorry, my facts, but you hope it's not messing with the audio. No. Facts machine. Getting the physical facts in looks like, um, yeah, and, and and it's it's absolutely a challenge. And however you do that, whether it's meditation, prayer, stoicism, Buddhism, Christianity, it doesn't matter what your vehicle to that is. But if you can make it to even the be. who's good at their job and gets things done. So, Hey, if I've got a problem, who am I going to, who am I going to seek out to, to help, help solve it? That person, they're going to seek out John. They're going to seek out Jeremy. And now, excuse me, that happens enough. You've built a foundation and a reputation and you're going to be given more responsibility. You've earned the right to be a leader. And I think that's where we started with that. When we, at the beginning of this, 
And I keep coming back to that. You can't just identify yourself as a leader. You got to prove it. You, you've got to, you've got to put in the work, be good at what you do and slowly expand your skill set. So I'll ask the, the final question here is, is what, what have we seen during this time and, and how can books or ones like this shape our learning curve towards leadership? Oh, I think if the, the, this time is absolutely what books about decision-making, whether you're talking about, about face or you're talking about one of the books on the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic of, of any time you can go back and, and have an understanding and have the, the background material of not only what the decision was made, but why did the people make that decision at that time? That's the, that's where the, the lesson can be learned. That's where it's not the decision itself. It's how did they, what were the 15 steps that got them to that process? And if you'd have changed one of those, how, how, how different does the, does the decision play out? And, and absolutely. Um, this, this time, I think I said it earlier, might've been before we started that this is 20 years from now, this is going to be a case study in, in how to make decisions without all of the information you want. It's really easy to make decisions when you have an unlimited amount of time and you have every resource at your, at your disposal that can provide you the information to make the best decision. But as Hackworth talks about those, those high stressful situations where lives are on the line, can you make a decision without knowing all of the variables and not having all the information? You may not get it right, but you can, you can, in those situations, you can make better decisions or poor decisions. And that's what we're faced with now both as a society that we live in as a, as a, as a, as a macrocosm and athletics, the world we live in is, as a microcosm and, and it's easy to sit back and second guess decisions that are being made when you don't have all, all, all of the information that's going into making that decision. It's really easy to, to rail at, at the administration for not playing games this fall. But when you, when, when, when the layers are peeled back and you see behind the curtain a little bit and you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those five things. Yeah. Okay. That really makes sense that now I understand why they made the decision and you only get that kind of perspective with time. It's everything is still too hot right now. Things are too inflamed in our society as a whole. Everyone, everyone's tired of every, everyone's tired of these. Everyone, everyone's tired of of all of the the things. But just because you're tired doesn't mean that the fight's over. And I think Hackworth illustrates that that you know you you from all from all the way back to ancient times. How are you successful in a in a, in a campaign? Well whether it's a war or a building project or, or whatever, it's not over until it's over. 
and you only get the luxury of hindsight to examine decisions once some time has passed. And, and I, I do, I think someone, someone's going to write the definitive tale of decision-making in this circumstance. And it's going to be in future years, it's going to be a, a case study on, because some people have made really good decisions. Some have made really poor and everything in between on the spectrum. And, and, but unless you have, like I said, having the, the backstory, what were the 15 processes and steps up to that decision? That's the, that's where leadership is. It's not just the making the, it's not, not just pushing the decision out. And I think that's what books like this, like about face. Um, another classic is, well, we were soldiers once and, and, and so young, which is a phenomenal story and book. Um, you look at, there's other examples of just how the decisions are made. That's what these books give us because, because yeah, no, none of us are fighting wars. I, I'm not leading troops into combat. I'm not, I'm not doing that. So it's not going to be a direct correlation, but you can pick up on themes and you can pick up on, on what is a good decision-making process that can be, that can be taken from one area of expertise and applied to another area of expertise. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I, I early on in the, this summer, I, I was very proud of the things that we were doing for COVID and how we were going about things. And, and then, you know, decisions had to be made and, how, you know, how we had to change things. And, you know, it, it's part of the, my reflection, my, my instant reflection of this time, because, yeah, it, it's going to take time after everything is done before we had a, have a real true understanding of what was done right and what wasn't done right. Um, you know, we may have feelings on what's being done right, but um, we also have to understand that those things may not be right at the end. Uh, you just kind of have to hope that you're on the right side of history, uh, but also understand that you may not be. And, and if you continuously understand that and, and think about that, then most likely you will wind out on top, but you have to be hum humble. You have to be, um, you know, honest with yourself and honest with those around you and have honest people around you as well so that you can move towards that positive direction. So Jeremy, I know we covered a, you know, 800 and some odd page book within an hour. Is there did, any questions Jeremy, or anything? It, did, Jeremy, have you, have you, have you started reading it yet? I have not read any of the book at all. I think everything continues to grow as we were talking, you know, th there are situations where I could have said, nope, that's not my fault. Somebody else was didn't do their job. Or I could say I was in charge of that. I was responsible for that. I should have done better. What can we do to move forward? What can we do to fix it? And then I, I liked how he talked about leaders can like identify the problem and identify the people to fix the problem and then give them the resources to do it. Not like, oh, hey, we need somebody who can uh, run our social media for our local organization. Okay, so you can volunteer because you can type your name. All right, cool. Go do it. Not like, oh, well, here, here's what we have. Here's what we what has worked. Here's what hasn't worked and those kind of things. And so identifying the problem, the people, and the resources needed to fix that. And I think that's important because here in the high school, as a secondary school athletic trainer, I a lot of times we'll say, okay, 
Uh, Juan, you're in charge of setting up the sidelines. And then he doesn't set up the sidelines. Okay. All right. Hey, everybody, come here. This is how we set up the sidelines. Right. And so, again, it's identifying the people and educating them. But maybe I need to write out more of the processes like this is a picture of what we want, what we want it to look like and why. Because we want our bags to not get wet, not get sprayed, you know, not to get dug through by the football coaches when they're looking for the helmet repair kit. You know, we want we want our stuff separate from theirs so that it's easy for them to identify and us to identify. And and again, it's a matter of identifying those people who are capable, identifying well the problem, the people, and then giving them the resources they need. So I think that's probably one of the big things that I've taken from there. And then just the reminder to to detach to see okay, that um, for the next three weeks, boys basketball starts practicing and they can't start practicing until 5.30. Last year, we had this big deal about teams practicing from six to eight just because they wanted to. Well, they can't practice because volleyball overlaps with basketball, boys and girls basketball. We all have, we have three full teams trying to practice in one gym. Okay, this sucks. It sucks for me to be here until 7.30 for practice but because we don't have another choice, we don't have another option. So we just make an adjustment, have those conversations about, okay, well, is there something we can do to adjust those schedules? So a lot of good Jeremy, reminders think, and good tips for moving forward. Jeremy, I think you hit the nail on the head there. The, I, I think, I, and this just came to me, you can boil leadership down to helping people understand the why. Uh, uh, Everyone will, is, is willing to do a lot of extra or, or more, add things to their responsibility if you can help them understand why it's necessary, why it needs to be done. And, and usually if, you can, if you're effective at that, you're going to be effective at communicating, you're going to be an effective as a, as a leader, and I think that's the difference between the micromanager leader who gives you a, 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 a list of script of what has to be done and what order it has to be done. And the person who's able to say, this is, these are the three things we need done. And this is why go do it. And, and when you get the why it usually clicks and now your kids understand, stand why you set the sideline up the way you do. You understand that, Hey, this it's it's not I'm not being punished being here late, but it's legitimately the only time that that this team can practice. And 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 part of understanding the why is is understanding that it's not always always about you. So I think that's a, I think that that's a good that's a good lesson that that that, you, that all of us need to be reminded of periodically. Yep, and it, it is yeah, important to have those conversations about. Okay, we have to make this adjustment. Is there any other adjustments we can make to make this work for everybody rather than just me being stuck with everything? So you mentioned that earlier, but go ahead, John. Yeah, I was just going to say it's it's the center of the target, right? We want to consistently put up the center of the target so we, we know what we're aiming at. If we don't have a, a anywhere to aim, then we're just either shooting arrows, shooting a gun or whatever into the, the distance. You know, we need something to be able to aim at so that we know where we're going. And that's, uh, it's the why, you know, we tell people why we want to do something or why we're going about it a certain way, then they're more likely to follow us. And, um, you know, the more you're able to do that, the more people understand you, the more respect that you gain, 
the more trust that you gain and uh, it allows you to be a better leader rather than a manager or micromanager. Or a dictator. If you're just, if you're just telling people to do stuff, do this, do that, do this, do that. No one likes that. Hey, I, I need you to do this because here's why is you're still accomplishing the same thing, but the message is totally different. No one likes working for that autocratic. I'm, you're just going to jump when I say no one that's the, the, those people aren't fun to be around. So yeah, good, good, good summary, John. Thank so you. In, in the podcast Jocko did just recently about the, about Facebook where he wrote the forward, he talked about, the lesson where if you're expecting 100% from your troops, you need to be able to give 200%. You guys kind of covered that. Um, one of the partners with the Sports Medicine Broadcast is Frio Hydration. And I've I've hung out with Rob. I've spent time with them. I've been to the shop. And I, and they want give 100%, and they are willing to do everything they can to, to make it right. I had a leak with one of our hydration units, and they drove out that week, fixed what it was. We had a conversation about how we could possibly make it better. Um, so I know I talk about free hydration, but there's a reason that I will stand behind that because it's a product that I love. And it's someone that I feel is giving 100, 200%, doing everything he can possibly do to make a good product for athletic trainers. So John, were we wrapping it up? Yeah, absolutely. I I think, uh, this is a great place to stop. It's, uh, we can go on for days probably talking about this book because of the length, but uh, not, not because of the length, but because of the lessons uh, in every single page. All right. So Kevin Parker on Twitter is K Parker or KP. What is it, Kevin? Yeah, it's uh, K Parker 9200. There you go. I knew it was random numbers. R- random for me anyways. Yeah. Oh, there's not, it's not, not random numbers. I said for me. May look, said maybe for random numbers to you. They're not random numbers to me. Okay, well, what is it? It's his credit card pin. Oh, nope. Uh, September second, two thousand was the uh, um, first date with my wife. Very important date, right there. So there you go. way back in like two thousand one, when I when I first set up a Gmail account, it's like you wanted to keep it separate from work or whatnot. It's like oh, okay, September second was a pretty important date. So nine two nine two two thousand. First first date with my wife. Um, and uh, saw uh, the the Miami Redhawks beat Nashville or beat uh, Vanderbilt in Nashville that night, and then 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 met her up later. So, yeah. So K Parker nine two zero zero is the Twitter handle. Yep. And so his name on there it doesn't say Kevin Parker. It says KP, and it's a picture of him. I think standing there looking buff like a leader or something like that. Um, so check him out. Or if you have trouble finding it on on Twitter, then follow John, message John or me. So John Seco on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, any of those right there. But he says mostly Twitter is the best way to get a hold of him. Is that still accurate, John? Yes, it is. If you're brand new to the podcast and you have no idea, you can go to sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash about, and that'll give ways to contact me. If you're not brand new to the podcast, then you probably already know that on most social medias, I'm Mr. Jeremy Jackson. And you can reach out that way as well. So again, if you're brand new, go to sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash about, and that'll give you a little bit more information, ways to get hold of me. Again, like I said, Frio Hydration, I feel like is a leader in the industry, but they're down there doing the work, willing to do what it takes to make it right. Sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash earned leadership. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash earned leadership, where I'll have the show notes, links, 
and things like that. Final words, John or Kevin? Thanks for the opportunity to, 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 to be back on. So enjoyed it. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for being here. So I think John was about to say our next one scheduled with Rick Cox is the path of leadership. So Rick was watching live in the Facebook stream. So, so for Jeremy, John Seiko and the sports, I'm sorry, Kevin Parker and the sports medicine broadcast, that is a wrap.